We've got a lot of work to do, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so understanding the topic of the Bible can sometimes be a little bit confusing, sometimes overwhelming, in fact, flat intimidating in some ways. So we're going to try to, over the next several weeks, months in fact, we're just going to take a, an overview journey of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And to do that, we're going to start by just kind of introducing the Bible itself today as we get into this, uh, to this journey of the story together. If you have your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter number 3 or your electronic devices, I want us to begin by just hearing the verse that talks about the Bible itself. It kind of gives us groundwork for this book that we're going to spend so much time just uh, unearthing and the one that we talk about every Sunday. Here's what Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, this overview that we have, it starts with the Bible itself and the importance of it, or the, the relevance of it. And this verse kind of, kind of breaks all of that down for us. Now, it starts with this, with this idea. God's Word is, first of all, it's God's breathed. It, the, the Bible is it's inspired, depending on your version. It's, it's made by the inspiration of God. It literally comes from the breath of God Himself. Now, we're going to spend the time today, although it's, it's a very interesting study, to prove this particular fact. There are so many um, uh, circumstances and facts around to show that it's inspired, but I understand that we're assuming the fact from this verse itself that what we're talking about is the actual breathed, inspired word of God. And so with that thought, understanding this verse, this book that we hold in our hands that we're going to be talking about, knowing that it's inspired, and most of you, that's not a problem, but think about what that means. The idea that God's word is, uh, that the Bible is God's word, God breathed, means for one, that it's absolutely trustworthy, completely reliable. It means that that there are no, there, there's nothing that would be wrong in it. There's no error that's contained inside of it. It's a book like no other book. It's something that is not just a, a literary, literary marvel. It truly is a take-it-to-the-bank type of a, a, a statement. When you read in the Bible, you can say, this is truth. That's If it's God's breathed, it has that understanding. It's also inexhaustible. And I want you to think about that for a moment. That means that, that it's never going to come to a point where it, it loses its significance or it loses its relevance or time doesn't change it. It, it has this, this uh, eternal inexhaustibility. Uh, in fact, we, one of, the, uh, one of our, our members at one point told me the story how that they were coming to a, another, they were coming to their life group and they told their family where they were going and their, one of their family members looked at him and said, you have been reading that book for, for years now. Haven't you figured it out yet? <laughs> you had anybody ever think that? You, you know, you go to it every Sunday. Don't you have it in your head yet? And that's the go that is the, the glory of this book is not only is it something that we still are learning, but it's something, it's kind of like the, the, where the Bible talks about God's mercy. It's fresh. It's new every day. There's something every day that the Bible can, can move and can change in our lives because it is God-breathed. It's inspired. Look what else this verse says. It also says that, God, uh, that the Bible is useful, or your version may say profitable. It, it, it has a, an, an, an understanding that is practically useful. Uh, I heard one person, and you probably heard this before too, they took the, the letters Bible, B-I-B-L-E, turned it into a an acrostic that means basic instructions before leaving earth. 
It's just basic owner manual instructions. But when I say owner manual, I say it with a grin because very few of us in here ever read owner manuals, right? We take them, we get them. Oh, I got an owner's manual. We stick it in a file somewhere, right? And, and how sad, but many of us treat the Bible the same way. Here is a book that is relevant, useful, practical for us, given for us for that reason. It is written to, by God to be useful and if you notice some of the things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, just everyday life stuff, and then the ultimate reason is so that God's servants will be thoroughly equipped, so that you'll be complete, that you'll have what you need. The Bible has that kind of power because it's, it's useful, it's profitable. But I want us, before we get off of this verse, to look at the first two words again. And that one, now we're talking about the Bible is all Scripture. And I want you to think about that with me, because when we think of all Scripture, the, the writer here, Paul, uh, was writing at a time when the, the New Testament was just being written. And, and so most of the, the New Testament was not yet uh, down on documents. So what he's referring to, for the most part, is the Old Testament Scriptures. However, what we have now in, in our hands, what we have the ability to see, is, is the Bible that is now in 66 books, written by 40 different authors, over a period of about 1,500 years, it was written on three different continents in three different languages, and yet all of it has this ability to change and to affect persons' lives. That's all Scripture, this whole Bible. But, but I want you to understand that when, I, when he says all Scripture, it's more than just all the words in the Scripture. That this idea of all is not just the, the sense of it being everything in combined, because the Bible is more than just a, a series of stories or just random little things that, we, that we, we like. Some of them we like to hear, we like to read, some of them are very precious to us, but it's more than just these random, these random things that happen. The Bible itself, all Scripture... All Scripture, the picture is that rather than just being a history book, although it's a very accurate history book, rather than being a history book, it is one continuous story. The Bible is from beginning to end, it is, it is one, the unveiling of a story. And what we're going to understand is this is God's story. This is the unfolding of history in one continuous, one flowing story. Let's see if we can f figure it out this way. If you take vacation with your family and you got the kids in the back seat and you're going to take a cross-country vacation or whatever, and, and, and you come across different landmarks, you know, his, uh, not, we're not talking historical things, I'm talking geographical things like, oh, there's, you know, there's a mountain there and it's got a name to it and here's the river and, here, and, and you, you point out all these little landmarks and you're making this journey and, it, and they look like just these separate, little, these separate little things all throughout. But if you were to take that same journey from a small airplane, and from the perspective of a small airplane, you take the same route, and you'll notice that all of those individual pieces are actually connected, and all those individual points are actually one journey, and, there, and, and you have a stop here that you see from the ground, that's all you see, but from up above, you see how that river connects into that valley, and that mountain goes into that, to that crevice, and, and you see all those things from a different perspective, and that's what we want to understand when we see all Scripture we're seeing that God's story is one continuous picture. And it has these individual stories, but all of them connect for one general, one overall purpose. That's how God has designed his book. So let's, let's today take just a beginning overview of what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks. Let's start at the best place to start, and that would be the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. And it's very appropriate, in the beginning is how it begins. 
The Bible starts with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, folks, whether you realize or not, that is a power-packed verse. There is so much truth, and so much of what's going to happen in the next 66 books hinge on those words. But I want you to see something very, very important. The fourth word in this verse is the key to this whole thing. In the beginning, God. The, the one thing we've got to remember is this whole story we're talking about, it, it all wraps up in, in one person, and that is God. He's not just a character. He's not just behind. He is the reason. It is his story. And this book that we see written is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, it, and he does, right off the bat, he does this amazing, miraculous event that we, we kind of sit back and people debate and we talk about. But it all starts here. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. Now, what we're going to do today in, in, in our introduction is we're going to actually do something that, that I don't understand a lot of people, and some of you in this room do that. How many in this room, when you pick up a novel or a book, you, you flip to the back to make sure you actually want to read the rest of the book? How many of you do that? You read the ending first. Yeah, you're weird. That's all I can say. I just, I just, it's supposed to be a surprise. You're supposed to get, okay? We're going to, we're going to do that today. I want, we're going to go to the end of the story. And I want you to see what happens at the very end. Now, remember what we just read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that phrase. Because in the last book of this, of this story, Revelation chapter number 21, I want you to see what God says in the, in the events that are still to come in the future. We've gone now through uh, thousands of years of history, and now we've got something still in the future. But look what he says. Verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea we see how it all started a heaven and an earth now we see how it's going to end there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and god is the creator of both but what we're interested in is what happens in between those what we're living in now is the in-between space we're living between where God created the heavens and the earth, and someday he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to see that come to pass. And now, where we find life is right in the middle of that, and that's the story. That's what God is doing, that he has, he has started this story, he's going to end this story, and in between, all that we see is a part of what God has designed, his particular story. Now, on your outline, there's a kind of a little graphic about the story. We're going to come back to that. We're going to use that throughout the day, so keep that in mind. But I want you to move down to, as we understand this story, we're going to understand it that God does things in, I guess we could put it this way, that there are three basic stories that I want us to talk about today that help us understand the story of the Bible. And the first one is, and I want us to make sure we understand this and kind of grasp where we're going with this, the first story is what we'll call the upper story. When you read the Bible, there is behind this story of God, there is what will be called the upper story. Some of you are going, the guy was tall enough and now he's standing on a forefoot. But anyway, this is, this is amazing. What we have is, from the Bible, we have an upper story. And here's the best definition of upper story is this. This is the big picture. This is God's story. This is the unstoppable work of a sovereign God, what he is doing, and none of us are going to be able to change that. And this story is the story that encompasses everything. When you talk about the upper story, you're talking about the eternal realities, the things that don't change, the things that man can't alter. That's the upper story of God's story. 
There's a verse that as I was looking, and you'll see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I think this is a great synopsis of, of how this all works. When we talk about time, creation, all this, look what God says about himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Does that help you understand the upper story a little bit? That's God. I started this, I am in it now, I will finish it, I am God Almighty, I don't change, nothing with it, that's God, that's the upper story, that's the part, some people refer to this upper story as the grand, or the, you could call it the meta-narrative, it's the story above the story, it's the story that really is the driving force, the meaning behind the Bible, is this upper story, it's God's story, okay, so we're going to see that in the scriptures, however, Within the scriptures, we also see something that we're going to refer to as the lower story. Now, the lower story is the human experience part of the story. It's our story. It's the story of the human race, the human existence. What we see in the lower story is sometimes there's humorous. You know, in the Bible, we have some humorous stories. We have some kind of interesting stories. We also have some very appalling stories some very troubling stories, some, some downright depressing stories as you read through it. Why? Because this is, this is where we live. This is the human race. This is the lower story. It's a, it's a micro story of the big story. It is, the, it is the little pictures that as you're, that airplane trip you're taking. It's those little stops that are making up the whole story of God and his work in, in human history. Now, here's what you got to understand. Without the lens of this upper story, if all we see is the lower story, it is very confusing and perplexing. But if, as we're going to take the story, as we begin to see more of the fact that God is always at work and that God's story is always being written and God's story is always in play. And the more we understand God's upper story, the more some of the lower story problems and the lower story issues begin to make sense because we see them in relative and in relation to God's upper story. So over these next few weeks, we're going to see some of the things that are easy, some of the, the, the things that happen, the lower story issues. We're going to see some of those. But what we're also going to begin to discover is how those are reflected in the eternal realities of God's upper story and what God is doing at the course of history and through the lives of mankind. Now, here's what happens in the Bible. When it starts, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the upper story and the lower story are virtually one story. You, you see them in those first two chapters, and, and you really don't see much difference. You have a God who created the universe, did all these and then the crowning point of his creation was on the, on the sixth day, he created man. He created the human race. And that becomes the pinnacle. Why? Because he created him in his image. He gave him then authority to take care of his creation. So we have this beautiful picture that God has created man and, and the, they become the object of God's love. And they have an ability then to, to, uh, to love God back. That's how it all starts. We have the upper and the lower story. We have God's story and man's existence. And they, they're, they're running right together in this upper story. And that's where, if you go back to that graphic, that's where we're starting. The story starts with this word. The story that goes through the Bible starts with the word creation. 
It starts with God's creative work, with what God is doing and and how God in his power and in his wisdom creates. And so in this case, Genesis 1, he creates man in his image. He creates man for his glory, tells him to look after his creation. But very quickly in the narrative of the Bible, by the time we get to chapter 3, you start to see the stories divert. God's story never changes. God's story is at work. But man now, you see him take a drastic turn south. As man in chapter number 3, wanting to, not, wanting to assert God's authority essentially, wanting to do it his way, he ultimately sins, he disobeys God, the relationship now is broken. Now man's journey, man's story begins to take on a whole different, a whole uh, a, a fractured feel. The, 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 fa- the, the, the story of man now doesn't look the same. Death enters, pain enters, suffering comes. All the things that we know to be part of the painful side of the human existence, now that becomes part of the, the picture. So the story continues. It starts with creation, and then the story talks about the fall. The creation of man and God's work and how God shows how he starts this. But man in his, story, in his part of the story falls. He, he sins. He falls again apart from who God is, and there's a separation now between who God is and and what man has in his life has become. And what we see now in the details of this lower story, which we see in the Bible and all these stories connected, we see in many cases where man, in, in most cases in fact, just rebels, runs from God, resists him, and it wreaks havoc on his life and on the his family's lives, and ultimately on all creation. In fact, here's how we take it to the New Testament. Here's how the, it kind of summarizes by the time it gets to Romans 3. Here's how the Paul put it. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Now what's interesting is Paul was actually quoting from the Old Testament. So this is now the theme that we have, that there is really no one, this story, man's story, and what he is, the lower story of of our existence is that we're we're separated from a holy God who loves us. Creation started it all, but the, the fall of man has now changed things for us. But here is when we begin to see what God's story was all about. And we see that God in his story transitions in our perspective to where he begins to pursue this one that he created. He comes after us as his creation. He begins to seek after the fallen and the lost. Even though we're, we're bent on rejecting his plan, the story of God shows that God is coming after us, that God is seeking us, and he, and he wants to, to renew this, the relationship, and he pursues us in this incredible way. That's the story scripture. So what we have now is we have this upper story and we have this lower story and they're both happening. And what we see is a lower story, but never forget what God is doing. Never forget that this story is about how God is is working through the history of mankind. In fact, what happens in this fall when, when man falls and we see how God's story intersects with ours, we'll get the third word. In that upper story, you have the creation, you have fall, and then you have redemption. And that's the story of the scriptures. God created, man rebelled and fell, but God has been pursuing him. And in order for that relationship to be happen again, there has to be a redemption. There has to be a price paid. There has to be something that changes that, that enables this relationship to, be, to come 
to, to the beginning. And right off the bat in Genesis 3, when, before the chapter is even over, man has sinned, woman has sinned, they are going to face punishment. But before the chapter is over in verse 15, God already says that I, I've got a plan for this. And he already says that through Eve, there's going, to come, there's going to come a redeemer. There's going to come one that's going to change all of this. So from the very beginning, we understand that God wasn't, oh no, what's happening? His story wasn't usurped. It wasn't a problem because God already was, his story was already working through the history of mankind. Look at how Peter describes Jesus. 1 Peter chapter number 1. He said, he... And the first verse tells us before, he, the Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect, notice the description, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus and what we know in the New Testament, that was already planned before creation ever happened. God's story is God's story. And it has been, and, and man didn't change it. Man didn't alter it. God already knew what man was going to do and that God loved them and he was going to redeem them. And he already had in mind the fact of how that was going to happen. It was going to come through his son, Jesus Christ. God's story's never been in jeopardy. But here's, what, here's how you describe our condition. Isaiah puts it this way. We all are like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's, that's a verse that, that describes this connection between the upper story and the lower story. Here's us. We're sheep. We've gone astray. We, we are running from God. We're separated. Our sins have separated. None of us are righteous. And yet in the upper story, God sent a sacrifice, and he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Maybe this helps you understand it better. We, we stand as humans with this huge amount of spiritual debt, a debt that we could never pay, a debt that is beyond our understanding. Our sin separates us from a holy God, but God has already in place a, a, a way, a redemption for that. And His Son comes and, and not only uh, our lives will change, but He actually imputes to our account spiritually His own righteousness. And we begin to see things differently because we have received the gift that comes when he lays his iniquities on his son. The connection of our story and God's is that God had you in mind. God knew you were going to be here. God knew that you were going to be alive in this lower story, and he had already had in place a redeemer, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. See, that's the glory of what this Bible, the story, honestly is. The glory is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the gospel doesn't start in Matthew. The gospel started in Genesis. The gospel started when man was created, but man fell. But God already had in mind this redemption that he was going to do. But remember, the story doesn't stop there. We have, we have creation, we have the fall, we have redemption, but then we have, ultimately, there's going to be restoration. That's when we come to the revelation that we read earlier in chapter 21. There's going to be a restoration. God's going to bring everything back to where it is meant to be. Everything will be healed. Everything there, and those of his people will see not only that their sins are forgiven, but those that are his followers will see their lives restored. They will see everything as it is meant to be. That whole passage, it's coming from and God's story is creation. Man falls, and then the, the primary pur purpose of the Scripture is to show us that God has been working to redeem His people, and His Son comes, and those who receive Him receive this forgiveness, and ultimately there will be complete restoration of all that God has. That's the story. That's God's story. 
the fact that God has been doing all of this. And this story weaves itself through all of Scripture. And everything that you see in Scripture now comes back to this particular story. This is the meta narrative. This is the grand story. And so now when we see other parts of the story, we can never forget that this is where God is going. This is what is happening, that God is redeeming man. And it's, so it's not just little stories here and there. It's this picture of God bringing man to, to, and those who will receive him, not only to redemption, but ultimately to being restored. That's the story of the scriptures. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I think it's probably familiar to most of you, and we'll get to this story in a few weeks in our journey, but it's a story of a, of a little boy named David. And it's one of my favorite stories, David and Goliath, right? The giant dude, right? And, and this, it's one of my favorite stories, and what happens, this little boy, and, and you just picture this kind of youthful exuberance, and, and he's seeing this guy mock his God, and he's going to take him on. And, and so the reason most people know it is because when you read the story, there's so many things about, you know, the underdog winning, and we all are, we love to see that happen, right? The, the little guy taking out the big guy, we love that part of it. And so we love that, we facing the giants, you know, it's all this part of what we see. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with seeing that application and seeing that truth. But make sure you understand something. That story of David even with the story of Goliath, was not just an isolated little nice kid's story put there for us to say, ooh, that was cool. Remember, it's part of a story. It's part of God's story. It's part of the fact that in God, in, in his wisdom, knew that, that this part of redemption is going to involve a people. And these people were going to have a king. And this king was going to have a throne that was ultimately going to lead to the redemption of his people. And this king was going to be David. That was going to be a name that, that is going to be forever. But at the point when, when this is story is happening, David and the giant, nobody knew who David was. David was basically in obscurity. He was a shepherd boy. He just shows up and causes trouble for his brothers, you know, that kind of a thing. But after this event with, with Goliath, huh, everybody knew who David was. In fact, they were chanting his name. David has killed his thousands, his tens of thousands. I mean, they were chanting. They knew God is using this particular story to be, put David where he needs to be to become ultimately the king that God has called him to be because that throne of David will be the throne in which the Messiah will come through. And the Messiah is the one who will be the savior of all of the world. Let me show you how this ties together. If you were to go to the book of, of uh, Luke, and you look in the book of Luke how that Jesus himself is introduced. I want you to see this. Chapter 1, you, when Mary is told about the baby that she's going to have, here's what the angel says. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. But notice this next part. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. You see, the, the, the process of redemption had to go through a throne, and that throne was David. So when David's out there slinging the sling, and we're all going, yay, the little boy kills the giant, understand that that's just part of a bigger story, a part of how God is using his, his people to ultimately bring a Messiah, a Redeemer, who will ultimately die for the sins of the world. You see, that's the story. That's God's story. In the middle of all the stuff we're going through, God is doing a work to redeem his people. And that is the purpose of the scripture. So it's important that we keep that in mind, that everything that we read, we're talking about upper, lower, it's creation. 
fall, redemption, and restoration. And sometimes you're going to see each of those things in, in some of the little stories, how that something starts and then there's a, a collapse and then God redeems the situation and ultimately restores. You're going to see this, this little story repeated over and over, but ultimately God's story starts with creation. It ends with restoration. In between is God redeeming people to himself. That's the story. That's what God wants us to, to understand from what we're reading. But there is one other part of the story that I want us to get. We have the upper story, we have the lower story, and then we have my story. We have your story. We have how this story is personally applied to our lives. The personal application of all of these stories that make up the one story of God's redemption, all of these things now come to how does how does God want that to affect your daily existence? Your story. And your story is intersected. Whether you believe all of the Bible yet or not, whether you understand it yet or not, here's the truth, that God's story intersects your story, even by mere fact that you're here today hearing about his story. God is bringing his truth to bear into your life so that his story, which is then how it affects the lower story of all mankind, now has, the, now has the, the privilege of affecting and touching your personal story and changing your life and making that kind of an, a, 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 an application into you. God has been pursuing us, been pursuing you. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, your, your story then as God, he, he puts in your life and he gives you a choice of whether you receive or, or reject the truth that he has. But his story, the purpose of Jesus is now affecting you. It's intersecting your life. And he wants his story, his word, to change what you do on a daily basis. Let me give you some thoughts about this truth. If you understand this upper story and that God is working and we understand how our connection to it comes about, there's, there's a few things that I think can happen. One is it gives us a whole new perspective on life itself. When you ask questions like, why is this happening to me? Does God really care? Where was God when that happened? We've all asked some of those questions, the why and the what for questions. When we ask those, you realize those are upper story questions. You're asking about why God in his, in his domain is allowing that to happen. And you're asking it from a lower story perspective. If I don't get it, why is God doing this? And when we, when we learn to live more in the upper story, we begin to learn and understand that God is always in control and there is a story that God is working and that God is working in your life and you may not understand the upper story. When we read some of these stories in the scripture, I guarantee you some of these folks had no idea how their life was affecting the ultimate story of God's redemption, but God was working in what they went through and God is working in what you go through as well. I, I think when Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, these words, I think he was kind of give us a reference to this when he said, set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. It's not about forgetting that I live in the lower story, but understanding that while I'm living in this lower story, there is still God's story going on, that God is still at work. God is still in control. And that gives me perspective on whatever I'm facing because my story doesn't change the fact of who God is and what he's doing. That's why one of our favorite verses in, in Bible, in, in church, 
is found in Romans 8.28. For God works all things to the good of those who know him and are called according to his purpose. We, we can't say that unless we realize that there is an upper story, that there is God's work, and that he's doing what he knows to be best. And when we get that in perspective, it helps us understand even what we're going through in life. But there's another thing that this upper story concept helps us do, and that is it helps you understand even what the Bible is trying to say. And it helps you interpret correctly what the Bible is saying. We got to be very careful when you're reading through a Bi the Bible and you read a verse and it grabs your attention and you say, well, that's what this verse says to me. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but you've got to be careful. Or you've got a verse that just really grabs you and, and it used to be something that you take this verse and you run with it. That's, that, those are, that's great, understand. However, remember that there's not one verse that's taken by itself. That verse is a part of a whole story. And so if you're, not, if you're not looking at your Bible understanding and the picture of the whole story of God's Word and how that all of this works for the redemption and the restoration of what God has created, and, and if you leave out and you just pull something out because that particular phrase says something to you, then you miss the point that God has weaving a story here. And, and each, of these, each verse has to connect with the other verses. And the context of what God is saying helps us understand even truly what God's Word is for us. 2 Timothy tells us this, do, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker does not need to be ashamed who correctly handles the word of truth. When you read the Bible, first you've got to answer the question, what is God saying? Before you ask the question, what is God saying to me? You've got to go back and make sure you know what the Bible is saying and what this story is and the context in which it was written and the people to who it was written to, and then see how God can apply that truth to your life in, in 21st century America. It helps us understand the, the scripture itself. But the last thing I want, as we get this perspective is understand God, as you learn more about his story and as it intersects your life, that's going to cause you to, to then have choices to make. God's going to bring you to a point of decision. God's going to have things that he wants his word to then change in your life. Never forget, the Bible was not written just for your information. It was written for your transformation. It was written to do something that will, this story, as it intersects you, will change your life. James 1.22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. The Bible was written to be followed. This is, you want to know how to have the life that's truly life? God is revealing his plan through his story, through his word. But as you read it, it's got to be something that you then apply and you allow it to change your daily life. It has to be something that works on a daily basis in who you are. Application is the goal. Where you it's, it's about the upper story realities and not just your experiences or your emotions or what you're feeling. It's about what does God say? What does God's plan say? What does God want? And how can I then apply that to my life and, and follow him the way that he wants me to go? Let me wrap it up this way. The end of the prophecy, as God ends his whole book, we come to the end of Revelation chapter 22. And then the last part, and I, I love this this. First part is we begin to, God has restored. Chapter 22 is all about the new heavens, the new earth, and about the heaven that we know about, no pain, no suffering. That's chapter 22. And he ends that little section, verse number 16, with these words. It says this, I, Jesus, 
And he says, I am the root, or he says, I am the source and the offspring or the heir of who? Of David and the bright and morning star. The reason I like that is we have just now seen how the Bible, the story has now come to its ultimate conclusion where we have this little shepherd boy who defeats the giant. And then we know that through his line, through the throne of David, the Messiah is born and all of that. But now when it comes to the end, the very creator himself, the very Messiah himself says, I, Jesus, am the source of David and I'm the heir of David. I made him happen and then I became the one that followed him. I have tied this story all together. I am the bride. Do you see? That's the story of the Bible. How from beginning to end, God has been working and continues to work to bring ultimately everything to his restoration. But as you look the next few verses, verse 16, it talks about heaven. But then the next verses as the book of Revelation ends, now he's talking to us again. We're back in the lower story. We're no longer talking about heaven and where everything's going. Now we're back in real life. And we're back to where we're living. The people that, were writing, that he wrote to and now us who are reading this book of Revelation. And when we come to that end, he now gives a specific call to action. An invitation, in fact. And here's what he says. The spirit and the bride say, come. And that one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. What he's saying is, if you've caught the idea of this story and you realize what God is saying to you and you realize what God is calling in your life, then come. If you believe this to be true and this story you understand was written in your behalf and was written for your redemption and God's been putting this to bring you to himself, if you believe that, then come. Come to him, come to the bride, come and drink of the water. Your life is missing that peace. Your life is without meaning. Your life, you're, you're struggling with the guilt and all those things that would come back. He says, here's what I, now that you know the story and where I'm taking the story, then I have, a, I have an invitation for you. Come, come and receive what God is offering to you. And then as the, this chapter continues on, the story is still being, our story is still being written, but God's story is bringing all its restoration. But here's what he says to the people. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And the writer stops and says, amen, come Lord Jesus. I know for a fact, I've heard some of you say, I wish Jesus would come today. Well, the writer said that 2,000 years ago. Jesus, I see where you're taking this. Let's just do it right now. I see what's coming. I see restoration. So why, let's just do it right now. Let's just let it all, and, and, and that's where we live. In some days, we're, we're moving along, but there are some days we're saying, Jesus, just come now. Just, let's, just, let's just put this all where it's supposed to be. And it's all, that's where we're living in the lower story. And then he ends with this verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. What he's saying is that's what we need every day. We're living in this lower story God has got a story that's never going to be stopped. It's moving that direction. Everything he's doing has a plan. And so in my story, I need his grace just to make it today. I need his grace to be able to live the way he's called me to live. I need his grace to be able to function. I need his grace to save me from my sins as, and as my Messiah and my Savior. And now I need his grace every day. While living in this lower story, if I'm going to make it, I need his grace to help me. And that's how he ends the book. This story, as God began it with creation, man fell. God was in, then began what he showed us to be the process of redeeming mankind and ultimately restores it all to its perfect state. But right now, 
I need God's grace to live today. And that's what's available to you, your story, what God wants you to apply today. The whole key is this. It's aligning my story with God's story. God's story doesn't change, but now it's me seeing what it is and me focusing on that, and now I align my story with his. Started when I received him as my Savior, and now each day as I focus on what his plan is, what he wants, and I align my story with his, that's the key to understanding the Scriptures. It's not just knowing all the stories and getting them all together and knowing all the facts. It's aligning my story with what God is up to, with what his story is. Something I'd like you to do today, if, if you look in the seat in front of you, there should be a, a commitment card, and there's even some pins attached to those cards. I want to encourage you to, to just look over these for just a moment with me. Some of you are you're not fond of signing commitment cards. I, I get that. But I'd like, to, I'd like you just to consider this. As we start this journey today, if you'd be willing, as a form of commitment, as a form of Here's what I want to try to do in the next several, several weeks. As on, this, on the left side is something that you'll turn in if you, if you so choose to, but the, today I'm committing to be a part of the story as we go through this journey. And there are several ways that I would encourage you. You can check off all of them that you're willing to, to commit to. One, that I'll do personal study and journal, or I'll, or I'll, I'll take the book and I'll read at least a chapter a week as we go through this book, the story. And I, I'll take it, and I, the, because what the, each chapter is is simply a... A, uh, an abridged version of the scriptures, and you'll take the book and you'll go through at least it, but I'll, I'll, I'll work through it, I'll do personal study, or maybe I'll also participate with time with my family, and maybe it's, you have kids, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with a close friend. Uh, maybe some of you will be committed to joining a weekly life group, a story life group. We have some that meet here upstairs after this service uh, in, in the upper room, and there's still places to sign up in those rooms, or we have, we have groups that meet throughout the week. But that will take the story and not only help it become even more alive as you discuss it, but you're also going to be building relationships and be build, building commitment, connections with others. Maybe uh, you would commit to just attending weekly, doing your best to be here so you hear how this all works. And then ultimately, I will choose to align my life. I will choose as God shows me how my life, I, I'm going to do my best to make that happen over the next several weeks. Now, the reason for name and email is simply, if you choose to turn this in, I promise you that I'm going to take these cards and I'm going to be praying for you personally, by name. That's just my commitment to you. And every week, if you put an email address on there, I'm going to send you an encouragement each week, just something about the stories we go through, just to keep us connected and keep us encouraged going together. So if that's something that you'd be interested in doing, if you'll put that in, and in the back as you leave, there'll be baskets you can put those in. And that's just those of us walking through this story with this commitment together. Now, some of you will do it anyway. I get it. You don't have to turn this in. But if you do, you can keep this part and, and mark the things. And this is just your own reminder of what you committed to do over the next several weeks of this story. But my question today is this, as we wrap this up. How is your personal life currently aligned with God's story? Has there been a time in your life when you recognized the fact that you are fallen, you were separated from God, and you, and you understood that Jesus died to redeem you, that he gave his life and he rose again so that you could have eternal life, and there was a day when you received that gift of salvation? Has that happened in your life? Are you aligned as God's child today? If not, that's what God would, God would want that in your life. He's been pursuing you, and he brought you here today to hear that this story 
is a part of it is about bringing your story in connection with his. Would you be willing to accept his gift today? As a Christian, are you living your life, is it, is it evident that you're living in alignment to God's story, in alignment to, w- to what God's plan is and not just what your desires are? Is, are you living your life and letting the story be your guiding force, the story of God's word? Are you letting it come into your life and be something that changes you on a daily basis? Would you bow your heads with me, please, with prayer? As we conclude this, this introductory day today, I hope that you have a new appreciation for God's story, for God's word, and what that means for you. The fact that this isn't just haphazard stories, this is God's story throughout history. But the key question is, how is your personal life currently aligned with God's story? Have you received Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you taken that step of faith and said, God, I I believe you, I trust you, even if you don't have all the answers yet, but you know this is what God has called you to do and you've received him as your Savior. Would you do that today? Would you make today the day of, of receiving his gift? And as a follower of Christ, Would you be willing to say, today, Father, as you show me in your word, in your story, what I need to do, I'm going to choose to to follow you, to align my life with you, and to learn and to grow in a special way, to be a part, to be aligned with your story. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, for starting us on this incredible journey. But Father, I pray that as we understand a little bit more of how the Bible all connects together and there is a a story behind it all. But Lord, how that our lives, our stories, how they intersect with yours and how you give us that privilege and that opportunity to be connected with your story. Father, if there's one in this room who's lost, please help them to see their need of salvation today. Draw them to yourself. Help them, as, as you said in Revelation, to come to drink of the water of life, to receive your gift today. For Christians, may we commit to take this this journey seriously and truly let the word of God, just the the plan of God, to direct us and to change us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. We love you. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Chris is going to begin to sing. And as he does, I would invite you, if God is speaking to you, to to call out to him. Even if you would, this morning, we'd we'd love to pray with you. If you want to know Christ as your personal Savior, we'd have people here right now. We have deacons coming at this very moment to, to pray with you. And if God is speaking to you, I would invite you to come this morning and let let God change your life. As Chris begins to sing, if God is speaking to you, I invite you to pray and even come this morning and let us pray with you as God speaks to you today.